Are we good? According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we find ourselves in Philippians chapter 2. So join me there in the book of Philippians chapter 2. We're looking at verses 1 and 2 at this point, and getting ready to move on to verses 3 and following, which is uh, the great kenosis passage to have the thinking that Christ had when he emptied himself, when he laid aside his divine privileges and the word became flesh. And so there's a lot of uh, powerful doctrine that goes into this that will be a blessing for us as we, uh, as we get there. To start though, we have these if statements and then the completed joy that we have to deal with, the make my joy complete imperative from verse 2. And as you work your way through this, take note there are four ifs in chapter one, in verse one, and they're all true. All four are assumed to be true in the uh, in the argument here. And then the the imperative comes in verse two, followed by four um, explanations, four illustrations, or four uh, ways in which you can do that. So when it says "make my joy complete," it then tells you how. How do you make my joy complete? By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. When you look at those four items for the how, you find a marvelous parallel between those four ifs in verse 1 and the four uh, mechanisms or means by which joy is made complete. And so that's kind of where we are at the moment. We want to pick up where we left off a week ago. Before we do that, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking our Father to bless our study and uh, asking for uh, humility to receive the word implanted. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have to assemble together. We do uh, call upon your faithfulness, Father, to bless our time, to, um, to oversee everything that happens, to be at work in the speaker and in the hearers, Father, that uh, your word would not be limited in any way by any distractions on our part, by any uh, human weaknesses. Father, I thank you that the study of the word of God is not a human activity. It's divine. Father, I thank you for the resources of God the Holy Spirit, the, the blessings we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to, uh, to be led in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So Father, we call upon your faithfulness yet again to bless our time here today, and we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. And so uh, I'm going to skip past, you've probably seen this so many times you're tired of it, but uh, we're going to break the chapter down. There's a first half that has three exhortations and a second half that has travel plans. So in the first half of the chapter, the three exhortations are verses 1 and 2, make my joy complete. Uh, the second one in verses 3 through 11 is have this attitude. And in uh, the third one then is verses 12 through 18 with uh, work out your salvation, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And all three of these are marvelous and, and I enjoy them, have, I have enjoyed them for years and years. And uh, particularly that kenosis passage, the, they have this attitude which was also in Christ Jesus and, and the humility that he expressed when, he, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that just has such an, an impact. I think it always has and it always will. So uh, 
look forward to each of those developments. The second half of the chapter is given over to travel plans, the intention to send Timothy, even the possibility, the, the desire that he will come himself. Paul wants to come himself, as it says in verse 11, um, or it says in verse uh, <coughs> somewhere that, uh, that he wants to come. And then he talks, uh, verse 23, and then, uh, or 24, <coughs> and then the possibility of sending Epaphroditus in verses 25 through following. So we'll deal with the travel plans uh, with Timothy and Epaphroditus in the second half of the chapter. For now, though, make my joy complete. And uh, we've covered uh, two points, and we're halfway through the third point. We talked about the context for this in point one, that it is suffering for Christ's sake and experiencing the same conflict as Paul. It's the, the, the final details from chapter 1 that then carry over into chapter 2. The context for chapter 2 has to, cannot be separated from the development in chapter 1. All right, And so when you look at the final verses there of chapter 1 with uh, it's been granted for Christ's sake to suffer, not only to believe in Him but also to suffer for His sake, that's suffering for Christ's sake. All right, and and I can't stress that enough. It's not. There's not. Uh, Satan wants to tell us that we're suffering for no reason, or that there's no point, or that it's not right, or that you know if God loved you, then you wouldn't have to go through this. Okay, those are all Satan's lies. All right, everything that we go through has a reason, and it's for Christ's sake, and and we don't want to lose sight of that. And so let's keep that in mind, along with the experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, verse 30, that all testing is common to man. What we go through in ministry testing is common to ministry pursuits. And so uh, this is the context then and the basis for the three exhortations then that start chapter 2. We spent quite a bit of time dealing with the four ifs. I won't go back over that again, but under point two in the outline, if, 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 every one of these is true. All right, it's assumed to be true for the sake of argument, but we know it's factually true based upon uh, the the whole body of scripture that we've looked at. And so, all of these are true. Yes, there is encouragement in Christ. And keep in mind, there only has to be the smallest amount, just the smallest amount. Uh, yes, there is consolation of love, and it says any any consolation of love. So even the smallest amount of consolation then qualifies, because if there is any, even the smallest amount, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, of course there is. There's tons, and all of these are infinite. All of these are are uh, without limit because they're coming from God Himself. So obviously there's any. There's some, even the smallest amount, and if there is any affection and compassion and the emotional terms that we'll see here this morning. So they're all assumed to be true. We took the time to teach the different kind of ifs in the New Testament, four different classes of ifs. These are all first class condition, all assumed to be true for the sake of this development, for the application being made. So assuming these things to be true then make my joy complete. Now, assuming these four things, and we've done two of them, assuming there is any encouragement in Christ, any, right? Any. And if it's been a while, if there used to be some, then there's any, right? Any encouragement in Christ. This is paraclesis. This is why we take the time. This is, this is important because we have a spiritual gift that's connected to this, the, the gift of encourager, the gift of exhorter. The parakaleo gift is the verb that comes with this noun of paraclesis. 
if there's any paraklesis. It's really a tripod. It's a verb that, it's a noun that has three senses, encouragement, comfort, and exhortation. And all three of those senses are uh, kind of bound up in the term paraklesis. And sometimes uh, it's hard to tell, well, wait a minute, are you comforting me or are you encouraging me or are you exhorting me? Yes, all of the above. I am parakaleoing you. And that's what happens with the parakaleo activity. It is an encouragement, it is a comfort, it is an exhortation. But uh, it's also important to note that it's not standing in front, it is coming alongside. That's the imagery. All right? It's not the pastor teacher gift, it's not the leadership gift, it's not standing in front, it's coming alongside. The para in parakaleo is to call alongside. And so this is the brother that comes alongside, the sister that comes alongside, that puts the arm on the shoulder, and then isn't, isn't preaching to a crowd, right? It is a communication gift, so it is a verbal gift. It is, you have to speak, but it's not uh, as a pastor teacher or a teacher or a leadership gift in, the, in, in a large group. It might just be one or two. It could be two or three. It could just be in a small group setting, coming alongside and putting the arm on the shoulder and offering that word of encouragement. And that's what Paraclesis deals with. If you want more on that, 2 Corinthians is your book to go to. Chapter 1 is filled with it. Chapter 7 is filled with it. The Paraclesis applications. Secondly, if there is any consolation of love. All right? And so uh, note the nouns that these things are connected with. The uh, Paraclesis is connected to Christ. The the, uh, Paramuthia is connected to agape love. All right, fellowship is going to be communicated to the uh, connected to the Holy Spirit. So the first three of these four have a noun that they're connected with. Um, the fourth one is not connected to a noun because the fourth one is a tandem uh, pair of uh, of nouns themselves: affection and compassion. But dealing with consolation, if there is any consolation of love, okay, and and we want to we we want to have this side as well. I think. Sometimes they get blended. Sometimes they're used interchangeably or sometimes they're used um, in in close connection. Here, obviously, they're in close connection but not interchangeably. I think uh, the idea of a consolation is, is, um, is, is, is more on the emotional side and whereas encouragement is more on the spiritual side if, if we want to paint with that kind of a brush, okay? Um, try to, in, in, in your paracoleto uh, studies for encouragement, comfort, exhortation, try to remove the emotions out of it altogether. Try to keep paraclesis strictly within a spiritual dimension, strictly within the Word of God and uh, the, the power of prayer and, and all of that. With, with consolation, however, now clearly there are emotions involved, as we see in the passages, because uh, someone has died. There's something terribly sad that's taken place. There's something that is is affecting us on an emotional level. And so, if I console somebody, keep can, can you console somebody and give them no comfort whatsoever? Yeah, and you can also comfort somebody without consoling them. See, they are separate, and yet you might often find yourselves doing both. And uh, that's what we have here: uh, encouragement happens, consolation happens, fellowship happens. And then, and then you can truly get to the emotions when you hit the affection and compassion. Those two terms are absolutely emotion-based. When you get to the, to the affection and compassion at the end of verse 1, now we're totally on the side of the feelings, all right? The touchy-feely that uh, usually gets put up front in the sermon instead of uh, off to the back where this v- verse puts it. All right. 
And so we covered this passage as well. We talked about uh, 1 Corinthians 14.3, John 11. That was the, the resurrection of Lazarus chapter where there's a funeral and Lazarus has been dead for four days and, uh, and Jesus is there. Uh, there's a crowd of people that have come to the house in order to console Mary and Martha uh, over the death of their brother Lazarus. All right, so now we get to the third and the fourth, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit. If there is any, even the smallest amount, fellowship of the Spirit. All of these verses have the particle tis, T-I-S, and sometimes it's T if it's in the neuter or tis, uh, but this particle tis refers to a thing, refers to a little thing, refers to even any, the smallest amount. It's not saying if there is encouragement, if there is any encouragement. I hope we get the difference on that. It doesn't say if there is consolation of love, if there is any consolation of love. I think without the any's, we have an entirely different doctrine. Without the any's, we have a totally different impact, right? Because if you take the any out, then it becomes an absolute statement. And then if there's an occasion where it's not there, we might point to God and say, okay, God, why is this missing? Why is this absent? And so let's recognize that these are not absolute statements uh, where, where there is always encouragement in Christ. Okay? We see, without the any, then we're left to assume that it's always. It's an absolute statement. If there is encouragement in Christ, and then we have a test where I have no encouragement whatsoever. And then I would be left to accuse God of, of letting me down or failing me, okay? Well, we don't take these as absolute statements of, of uh, always or all the time, but any, okay? And that's considerably different. And it may be that there isn't this time encouragement, but there was last time. Or there isn't this time consolation, but there was last time. Or there isn't this time fellowship, but there was last time, or there will be next time, you see. If there's any, if there's any. That makes all the difference in the world. All right. So if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, even the smallest amount, koinonia, our well-known noun here for fellowship, koinonia, pneumatos is, is how it's expressed in the verse. Of course, pneuma is the word for spirit. This is fellowship of the Spirit. And anytime you have a pneuma study, you want to look at it and ask yourself, is it God the Holy Spirit that's in view? Is it a living human spirit that's in view? What do we mean by spirit? Uh, it could even be an angel is referred to as a spirit. There's different ways that the New Testament will use pneuma. I think clearly in this context, it's the Holy Spirit, as we have Christ also in this context. Encouragement in Christ, fellowship of the Spirit. <clears throat> fellowship is koinonia, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. We've uh, not long ago looked at the, the verb koinoneo. Um, we talked uh, about a koinoneo application back in chapter 1 in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So we had a fellowship centered in the gospel where it was rendered participation. So it wasn't that long ago that we looked at the verb koinoneo, to share is what it is about, is to have something in common. If you have something in common, right? You don't have your own, you're living in a house, you don't have your own kitchen, but you have a shared kitchen. There's a common kitchen. There's a common living area. There's a common bathroom or, or something of that nature. There's a shared 
uh, is a shared thing. That's what we have in our fellowship, is the shared experiences of being believers in Christ. And so we have shared testing. We have shared uh, gospel uh, ministry. We have shared affliction. In this case, we have shared the fellowship of the Spirit, the shared experience of the permanent indwelling of God the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see here. All right. So quinonia, the idea of shared. And uh, the, the greatest illustration is what Alexander the Great did when he created the Koine Greek, right? The Koine Greek is the shared Greek, is the common Greek. And he found a way to blend all the, the different dialects of the, of the different Greeks because he himself was Macedonian, <laughs> right? And so the Macedonians, his father Philip and then himself, are we getting kind of toasty? Can we back off on that a bit? <clears throat> all right. And so Alexander then blended Ionic and Corinthian and Doric and Anatolian and some of the more minor ones, took all of these various Greek dialects and said, hey, look, we're all the one. We're all one people. We're all us. We're all Greeks, even though he was Macedonian. Okay? And this was kind of a way to take the edge off um, the Macedonians conquering all the Greeks and saying, look, I'm just, we're just you guys. You know, we're all together because the big enemy is Persia. The big enemy is those guys, right? Not us, those guys. And so the bad guys, the, the Persians, were the external threat. And we're all Greek, right? And so a way to foster that all of us being together thing was to blend all of those dialects into a common dialect. And he and, and was brutal with it, insistent upon it, for his troops especially, that when they went on the march, that's, that's how they got their military direction. That's how they operated. And so the Koine Greek was really forced upon all the individual dialects. And, and that's what we have is so the common Greek, the common fellowship that we have. And so 19 uses in the New Testament. This is uh, a lot of them, most of the 19 on the screen here. But we recognize that fellowship is a big deal in the church age. Fellowship is a big deal in the body of Christ. And starting with Acts 2.42. And it's not that Old Testament believers couldn't have fellowship. I believe they did. I believe they had lots of fellowship. David talked about the sweet fellowship he had with Jonathan. All right? And so Old Testament believers could have powerful fellowship centered in the Word of God, but they were not linked together as we are by God the Holy Spirit. It's a big difference. All right? So we have fellowship with the Father and the Son, and we're able to do so because of this position we have in Christ, this position we have being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Anyway, there's more on that, and I'll reserve that for Bill Kelly and his message tonight on uh, union with Christ at the 6 o'clock hour. But Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, Right? The fourfold functions, I believe, every local church in the church age should be centered on those four things. The, the Bible class, the teaching of the Word of God, that's item number one. Fellowship, though, is item number two. Communion is item number three. All right? And so just on, on, a, on a list and how they're listed, uh, it might be useful to ask ourselves, you know, are we, are we proportionally uh, making the appropriate application? You know, we have... We have communion 12 times a year. Do we have, how many uh, fellowship events do we schedule uh, in terms of our potlucks and our picnics and other church occasions whereby we have scheduled and structured fellowship times, all right? That's not optional. 
I realize that it's, it's tempting to say, well, you know, Pastor Bob's not in the pulpit, or well, we're not learning doctrine, or well, we're not in Bible class, so I can blow it off. I don't have to attend the baptism service, or I don't have to attend the potluck, or whatever. Well, wait a minute. It's teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. You think the prayer meetings are also optional? Well, probably you do. You think the, uh, the uh, communion services are optional? I don't see people streaming out uh, and, and, well, because, well, you say it's convenient because we're already here. We're sitting here anyway. Might as well stick around and take communion. Why do we think these things are different? Okay? Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. That's the, uh, the fourfold function of, of a local church when the saints are gathered together. And so there it is. Other things I think I would like to illustrate with, with respect to fellowship. Pastor Cliff and I go back and forth on this too. How do you define fellowship? What do you consider fellowship? And I, I continue to hold to something I heard from Dorothy Braun years ago that uh, anything an unbeliever can do is not fellowship. All right, So it's not, it's, it's not an earthly thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's done by means of the Holy Spirit. You've got to be born again. You've got you, 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 you to be walking in the light. You can't be carnal. Okay? And then it's what happens when two believers are holding in common what we're holding in common. See, and we find a way to communicate that. You'll see that in some of these later verses as well. So um, ask yourself, well, what is fellowship? Does it mean I'm sitting at a table and we're stuffing food in our mouth? Is that fellowship? Well, I can do that with an unbeliever. You know, I can sit at a table across from an unbeliever. I can sit at a table across from a Buddhist or a Mormon or, or a, a Muslim or a Hindu or, a, or what have you. They don't name the name of Christ. Is that fellowship? See? Well, what makes the difference, if, I, if I'm eating food and he's eating food, what turns that into fellowship? Well, what are we discussing? What are we relating to one another? How are we sharing in our prayer requests and our struggles and the doctrines we're learning in, uh, in all these things. Okay? That's what makes a fellowship. So it can happen on a golf course. Cliff likes to use the golf, golf course analogy. Okay? It can happen playing Scrabble. Okay? It can happen sitting in a ball game. Okay? Um, just make sure if you're in a venue where you're likely to go carnal, you've got to be careful there. Stay in fellowship. And you can have fellowship with a brother. But that's the point, though. The point isn't the thing you're doing. And not, hey, we're having a picnic, or hey, we're having a potluck, or hey, it's not the thing. That's just the, that's just the, that's just the, the venue where the fellowship takes place. But it can happen on a golf course, it can happen at a potluck, it can happen at a Scrabble tournament, it can happen at a, at a baseball game. But what happens then as one brother shares with another brother, or one sister shares with another sister, or um, either uh, a song, a hymn, a spiritual song, a, a scripture, a prayer item, an invitation to join me on a, on a prayer struggle. Okay, it, maybe it's something sorrowful. Hey, do you know what? Uh, do you know what I'm going through right now? And you share that. That's fellowship. Okay, on a spiritual level. Second Corinthians six fourteen. Second Corinthians six fourteen. <clears throat> Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? And that partnership, by the way, is uh, the metakoi that we're dealing with in Hebrews. What fellowship, or um, that's Koinonia, has light with darkness? 
What does light have in common with darkness? You know, if, if you define something as the absence of the other thing, then they don't have something in common, <laughs> okay? If light is the absence of darkness, then what does light and darkness have in common? Because this is the opposite of that, or the absence of that. <clears throat> uh, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And so when you look at all these things, you, you talk about uh, partnership, fellowship, harmony, in common, agreement. There's five different uh, parameters there that are all placed in juxtaposition, one against the other. And there's no, there's no tandem, okay? Anywhere in those things. So our fellowship is going to be with believers. Our fellowship has to be with the body of Christ. And there is. Galatians 2.9 Galatians 2.9, you might recall. <clears throat> there had been some hang-ups in particular. Um, some of the Jewish believers were struggling with connecting with some of the Gentile believers. And you might imagine the church is something brand new and, and up till now, uh, you know, treating somebody like a, a Gentile and a tax collector was kind of a... Uh, <laughs> It was a way to say, look, you're not us, okay? Talking to those Gentiles, they're Gentiles unclean. They, they can't participate in the ritual with the Jews. Well, now we got the church age. Now it's all new things. Now there's no Jew nor Gentile, but a new man in Christ. And so uh, there were some bumps along the way, and Peter and Paul had a conflict here, and um, there were other struggles. Anyway, they, they worked through that, and it's neat to see that, um, Verse 7 says, on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, uh, then verse 9, recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of Quinonia, the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember, remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. And so we have the capacity then to fellowship with other congregations, to fellowship with pastors and other ministries, to have a recognition that, look, we're not enemies. We're on the same team, right? We have, we have, we name the name of Christ. And if God is calling me and Austin Bible Church to, to this endeavor, and God is calling Cliff and Lost Pines Bible Church to this other endeavor, that's great, all right? And so we, uh, we have with one another this right hand of fellowship whereby we, we love one another, we support one another, we pray for one another, and we're not, we're not um, in opposition to these things and what they're doing. We're not competing with one another in this regard. We can even cooperate on things. There might be that we'll combine together on some missionary endeavors. We might combine together on some, some uh, funding of, of different things. We might put some relief funds together and things of that nature. That's called a fellowship. So pay attention to that. Fellowship between individuals, fellowship between pastors, fellowship between congregations that can cooperate on these, on these projects. Um, Philippians 1.5, a chapter earlier than where we are this morning, we talked about the fellowship of the gospel. <clears throat> His prayer request or his thanksgiving, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your fellowship. 
in the gospel from the first day until now. And so we see that fellowship is actually a very active thing. And I like the translation participation because it communicates the active nature of it. You're doing something. Um, but I don't like it in, in the sense that it obscures the, the koinonia that's the, that the, the, the verse actually has. So it's, it's your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. <coughs> Lest you think that fellowship is purely passive or fellowship is, is, uh, is, is, is non-active. That uh, fellowship's a good alternative if, you do, if you're just naturally lazy and you don't want to do anything and then just sit around and have fellowship all day. Wait a minute. Fellowship is very active. And fellowship, if it's done biblically, is uh, exhausting. 2.1 is our verse this morning. We'll see it again in chapter 3 where it's called the uh, fellowship of his sufferings. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. What, and and th- this gets into some very deep things. The power of his resurrection I'm supposed to know that today. I'm supposed to know that right here, right now. That's not just the fact of his resurrection. You know, I like the fact of his resurrection. It's the guarantee of the fact of my resurrection. And I know that I'm going to be resurrected when that day comes. I will be resurrected when the trumpet sounds, okay? Either, uh, well, when the trumpet sounds. Even if I I die prior or uh, if I'm still alive, when the trumpet sounds of the rapture of the church, I will be resurrected. See, we all will. But beyond that, beyond knowing the fact of that, the excitement of anticipating that, there's a real power within that, and that's a power I'm supposed to know today. That's a power I'm supposed to occupy with today. I'm supposed to employ that power today. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship, the quinonia of His sufferings. So we'll deal with that in chapter 3. And it's not passive. That's very active. We get involved with that, the fellowship of his sufferings. And uh, as we are um, intimate with one another in our Christian walk and as we, as we love one another and serve one another and bear one another's burdens, we have fellowship in these sufferings because they're his sufferings. They're his sufferings. Being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Well, Am I not already there? Am I not already a believer? Am I not already there? You know, how much of this gets applied to positional truth and how much of this gets developed in, uh, in our experiential sanctification? A lot of this is experiential. So stay tuned as we get into chapter 3. That's going to be a big development. Philippian, uh, Philemon, verse 6. Philemon. Aim for Hebrews and back up a book. It's kind of tucked in between... Titus and Hebrews is Philemon. Only one chapter. We just say Philemon verse 6. Alright? And uh, notice that it's working. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. I think there's a lot of fellowship that's dead. There's a lot of fellowship that doesn't do anything because it's misdirected fellowship. But Paul was praying that their fellowship would be effective. And this has to do with the energy, has to do with the, ener- the energetic working, the effective working of the Father. Remember there's gifts, ministries, and effects? This is the effects. This is the working. This is what the Father does. 
as we exercise our gift and pursue our ministry, we achieve these results, we achieve these effects. And fellowship is effective. A fellowship, fellowship can do things that teaching can't do. Prayer can do things that teaching cannot do. Communion can do things that teaching and fellowship and prayer can't do. We have to have all four. All four should be effective. Specifically, the effects of our fellowship come about how? Six o'clock tonight. <laughs> the, epi- the knowledge, I don't remember if it's gnosis or epinosis here, um, of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. I think item number one and what we should fellowship over is what we have in common, is our positional truth doctrine in Christ. We can fellowship over having eternal life. We can fellowship over being born again. We can fellowship over regeneration. We can fellowship over the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We can fellowship over however many you list. Schaefer listed 33. I think Theme listed 36 or 39. Jensen listed 39. John Eichmann's up to 100 and something. Okay, A lot of these pastors have done a lot of work on, uh, on these position possession blessings. And so through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake includes the struggles, includes the sufferings, includes all the other things that God's assigned to you for Christ's sake. All right? And so that's what makes our fellowship effective. Koinonia should be working. Koinonia should have a result. When we're done koinonetwing, we ought to be able to look back with a Sabbath rest appreciation for what the Father did. Okay, and that's uh, that's a blessing. How about Hebrews thirteen sixteen? More fellowship. <laughs> Hebrews is the book of our priesthood, as we've been look- looking at it. <coughs> and here we have some of our sacrifices in the church age. Part of our Melchizedek priesthood sacrifices in Christ. All right, we're not Old Testament priests. None of us would qualify. We don't have the right lineage as far as that goes, being descendants of Aaron. But um, in Christ, of course, we have the the uh, all the qualifications, the indestructible life that we have in Christ. And so we are New Testament believer priests in Christ. That Melchizedek priesthood Hebrews develops for us, and in this. We're not coming into a, a temple or a tabernacle with the blood of bulls and goats. How messy and how nasty. Um, I've, I was going to say I've never killed an animal in my life. I, well, that's not true. Uh, vehicular collisions have occurred. But beyond that, but the idea of slitting a goat's throat, draining the blood, and then um, removing the entrails and dividing up the, 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 the portion for the Lord and all that... Um, that's just that's just not me, all right. Um, as far as that goes, uh, I I like my <laughs> my dead animals packaged at H E B. Thankfully, though, in the church age, guess what? It's not about death; it's about life, and we present our bodies as a living sacrifice because Christ has died once and for all and risen again on our behalf, and we now walk in the newness of life, and our sacrifices are living sacrifices. And so through him then, uh, Hebrews 13, 15, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And so we praise him and we praise him all the more. We praise him more and more. We should be thanking him more and more. We should be asking for a greater capacity 
to identify what he's doing, the more we can identify and the more we can praise him. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. All right? And it's, it's interesting to me how this is expressed this way, doing good. Well, what do you mean by that? I love how broad and generic and, and it's, it's really wide open, okay? You want to do a good thing? Do a good thing. It's a sacrifice when you're doing it the right way. When you're doing it as a Melchizedek believer priest. When you're doing it as a sweet smelling savor. So before you do it, pray about it. Before you do it, offer up to the Father and say, Father, thank you. You know, it's just a, it's just a little thing, whatever it is. Thank you, Father. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run an errand for somebody that, that is homebound, that can't run this errand. And I'm going to go to the, the pharmacy. And I'm going to pick up this prescription. I'm going to bring it over there. And you know what, Father? An unbeliever could do that. <clears throat> but I'm doing it. And I want to do it in fellowship. And I want to do it for the glory of Jesus Christ. And I want to do it as a blessing. And when I get there, Father, not only do I want to deliver the prescription or whatever it is, I, I, I want to sit down with this brother and I want to pray with him or as a sister. I want to pray with him. And I want to use this as an occasion as, a, as part of my priesthood. You see? And what you've just done, all right? You've just done good as a, as a do-gooder, okay? But not in a religious kind of way, not in a phony kind of way, not as, uh, as too often done, I think, in our culture where there's a whole lot of people out there, you know, and they, 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 they're off the charts in their, in their, their do-gooding, right? But it's with the wrong motivation. It's wood, hands, double. It's all in carnality. It's all in darkness. It's all because of pride. It's all because of human effort. So do not neglect doing good and sharing. Again, it's quinineo. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And I love that fact that both of these are wide open. Do good doesn't define, well, how can I do good? You know, there's no Mosaic law that goes with this to stipulate 305 categories of doing good. Or there's, uh, you know, 110 elements of sharing. You know, what do I share? What do you want to share? <laughs> okay? You can share money, you can share food, you can share a meal, you can share a, a, a ball game. I mean, share, well, what do you want to share? It doesn't tell you what you have to share. We're not under law. We don't tithe. We don't have the have-tos. It's all about the want-tos. What do you want to share? Okay? Maybe you got a chance to share something nobody else can share. So share that. Share whatever. It's not the thing. It's the attitude. It's the spiritual endeavor by which you're offering up a sweet-smelling savor. With such sacrifices, God is pleased. So they are sacrifices. Praise, doing good, and sharing. There's three sacrifices there. Yeah, that are listed in uh, in Hebrews 13. First John chapter 1 verse 3 verse 6 verse 7 two uses in verse 3 because our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. <coughs> First John 1 John 1:3 what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. Notice, it's centered in the Word of God. It's centered in their experience with Christ. It's centered in um, the, the spiritual dimension, all right? And the, the invitation is anyone can join in. Anyone is welcome. There's no cliques. There's no groups. There's no in-crowd, out-crowd. Well, if you want to fellowship with me, then, you know, clearly you don't measure up. Uh, none of that, all right? It has to do with the fact that I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I've learned some things in the Word of God. 
You're a sinner saved by grace. You've learned some things in the Word of God. So let me share with you what I've learned from the Word of God and let you share with me what you've learned from the Word of God. Okay? And we're going to have fellowship. And through these exercises, we're going to have fellowship with the Son. We're going to have fellowship with the Father. And that's the only basis in which I can have fellowship with another human being. Okay? Because I've got to be having that upward fellowship with the Father and the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to be having that upward fellowship with the Father and the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then and only then can we have this cross, uh, cross fellowship going on. We can have fellowship with one another if each one of us individually has that fellowship going on with God. And so uh, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This chapter has nothing, never mentions fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Okay? It mentions fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son. And I, th- I think we're not wrong to discuss fellowship with the Holy Spirit because Philippians 2 talks about it. We've got other passages that talk about it. There is fellowship with the Holy Spirit just not mentioned here. The prime fellowship is with the Father, with the Son. And the Holy Spirit would love that. He, he would love spotlighting the Father and Son anyway, not spotlighting Himself. I would tell, tell you that without fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you can't have fellowship with the Father or with the Son. They, they go together. If you're out of fellowship, if you're carnal, the carnal, the fleshly believer has no fellowship with the Father and with the Son. It takes that to have the other two. Alright. Uh, verse 6 and verse 7. Verse 5 says, this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness. Okay, now this is an if. What kind of if is this? Third class. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But if we do, what's the outcome? We lie and do not practice the truth. See. And let's just recognize that for what it is. A lot of believers do that. A lot of believers say that they have fellowship, but they're walking in darkness. A lot of believers say they're walking in the light, but they're walking in darkness. You can say whatever you want to say. What's the reality? Okay? And this is, uh, this is curious to me. And this is why I, I think there's a lot of people and their theology is not comfortable with this, so they try to rewrite it. And they try to recast First John as if it's written to unbelievers. It's written to believers. All of this assumes you're saved. With the recognition, though, that okay, you have eternal life, you're going to go to heaven when you die, but for the moment you're, you're walking in darkness. Cut that out. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cl- cleanses us. Present tense keeps on cleansing us from all sin. Alright, this, this is a way to proactively not need the confession routine of verse 9. This is the way to not need the, the rebound whereby your, uh, your sins are forgiven and you're cleansed and from all unrighteousness and, and you're brought back into fellowship again. You don't need verse 9 if you keep using verse 7. Keep walking in the light. The longer you stay in the light, the, the more that blood just keeps cleansing and keeps cleansing, keeps cleansing. If we say that we have no sin, positional, of course we do. If we say that we have not sinned, verse 10. In between is verse 9 if we confess our sins. And all of this centers on our experience. It centers on the fact that we're all saved but we're not all in fellowship. We're not all walking in the light. 
And uh, we should be. That's what that's about. So if there is even the smallest amount of fellowship of the Spirit, and of course there is, make my joy complete. The fourth item is a hyphenated item. If there is any affection and compassion. If there is any, even the smallest amount of affection and compassion. So back to our text then, Philippians 2. And noticing the uh, emotions do have a part. They are listed last, not up front. And they're not listed only. And I think there's a very danger there. There's a very dangerous uh, thing. And Satan would love to use that. Carnality loves to use that. Um, emotions uh, can be uh, uh, useful if you have a desire to manipulate people. You know, the old guilt routine of, well, you know, don't you love me? And, uh, you know, if you loved me, then, you know, why would you do this or why don't you do this or, or whatever? And, and so affection and compassion can be, can be manipulative. And then you can withhold it and say, well, you know, you know, what have you done for me lately? And, and so then you start to withhold things. And the, the husband withholds conversation or the wife withholds sex or things just get withheld. Affection gets withheld. And it becomes manipulative. So we don't want to deal with it on that basis. And, and, and Paul's not dealing with it on that basis. He, he, he puts it, I think, in his proper place. These are emotional expressions. And, and we have them. And we should have them. And yes, there is a place to be uh, compassionate with, with someone. There's a place to have affection. It's not wrong to show affection uh, with the right object for your affection. Okay, In the right parameters for your affection. And the Bible's great with all of this. Okay? The Bible is great for all of this. <clears throat> but in the appropriate place. Yes, there is affection. Paul had a lot of it for the Philippian believers, and they had a lot of it for him. That was clear. We're going to see more of that in the upcoming chapters. We've already seen a lot of that. Um, and so that's what we have here. All right, the vocabulary, uh, splanknon and oiktirmos, uh, are they useful to study individually? I think they're also useful to study in tandem. Here Paul puts them in tandem. Because a lot of times they're translated the same way. A lot of times they're, they're, both of them can be translated as affection. Both of them can be translated as compassion. And so if you have them together in a verse, like here, then you don't want to translate them with identical terms. That would be dumb, right? To say if there is any affection in affection. Well, how dumb is that? Because clearly they're used closely. They're linked together closely, but they're used as, as separate items. And so I don't mind affection and compassion. I think that's, that's, that's fine, the way the New American Standard rendered it there. All right. Splanknon, though, we, we studied this as well, references the, uh, the intestines. Okay? It references the, uh, the internal or your digestion system, right? Your guts, <laughs> your entrails, as it were. And that might seem strange to us, but that's just how they thought. Okay? Um, that was kind of um, kind of uh, the way the Greeks thought was that the uh, the the belly was the seat of your of your emotions. That's that's where they resided, and so if you were highly emotional, then uh, you know you would get an upset stomach. You would be uh, you would be uh, you know 
irritated down there. <laughs> you would, um, we, we, even certain expressions like visceral come from that too, or you could inviscerate your opponent. It all, it all centers in your, in your bowels, in your entrails, in your, uh, in your that. And in fact, that's what Acts one eighteen is all about when uh, Judas hangs himself and then he falls and his, his intestines uh, burst asunder. It's a medical term for the entrails. And that's what splanchnon is, is all about. Uh, generally speaking, though, it's used metaphorically uh, for the, uh, the emotional heart, for the affection and, uh, and aspects there, all right? And I just spotted Philippians 1.8 is on that list. So we've, we've actually dealt with this back in chapter 1. That wasn't that long ago. Um, God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, okay? Nothing wrong with being affectionate when it's appropriately directed. Okay? There's a place for Christian affection, and uh, we appreciate that. All right. Uh, <coughs> these other uses then. Luke one seventy eight. We can probably get through these pretty quickly. The only use uh, here in Luke, and then one in Acts, and then the rest of those are Pauline. No, there's a John use. But Luke 1, 78. Uh, because of the tender mercy of our God. That's the splankna. It's a quotation from the Septuagint in the Old Testament. Because of the tender mercy of our God. God Himself is emotional. You understand that? God Himself has passions. God Himself has feelings. And He designed us that way. It's part of being in His image. So this is the song that uh, Zacharias is singing here at the birth of John the Baptist. And um, what a blessing that the herald has now arrived. And, and if the herald's alive, then that means Christ is, is, is coming shortly. But because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit on us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. In this lost and dying world, it should... Do you have any kind of feeling, any kind of emotion, any kind of, does it, does it bug you at all that there's billions going to hell? Is there any kind of feeling with respect to that? Or is it all just emotionless? Well, too bad for them, they just, just get saved. Anyway, the tender mercies of God sent the sunrise. How about, uh, of course, I already said Acts one eighteen is the literal use where intestines are gushing out. Don't need to read that before lunch. How about uh, 2 Corinthians 6.12? Some of these terms also, I mean, who knows? The, the, the Greeks, I, I think they had a lot going for them. Um, in not only their philosophy, but also medicine. Some great me- uh, medical developments in the ancient world came through the Greeks. And again, the, the recognition of the lower body parts and, and the affections and, and things. I don't know. They also centered on, I think, <laughs> blaming women for being highly emotional related to uh, certain things. All right, Second Corinthians 6.12. The, um, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. For you are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. And that's a useful thought as well. 
recognizing that if we don't keep our emotions, if we don't keep our affections oriented biblically, um, they, they can get us into trouble, right? Can they start calling the shots? Can our feelings take over? Can our affections then uh, move from the, the passenger seat to the driver's seat <laughs> and kick, uh, kick doctrine out the window? And uh, now all of a sudden we start making choices based on our affections instead of, instead of mentality, instead of uh, the Word of God, okay? We don't, want to be, we don't want to be restrained by our affections. I like to use the car as my analogy. You know, I don't mind. You know, uh, emotions are great. They can be in the passenger seat. Or sometimes you might even have to put them to the back seat. If, if hey, wait a minute, you know, let's go ahead and... <laughs> I don't know, you ever want to shove them in the trunk or whatever. You never want to kick them to the curb. We can't stop being emotional beings. So wherever you put your emotions, passenger seat's fine, let them ride a shotgun, I don't care. Just don't put them in the driver's seat. Okay? That's, that's got to be, be our mentality. That's got to be the Word of God. All right. <laughs> How about chapter 7 and verse 15? His affection abounds all the more toward you. This is uh, the boasting here. Titus, can't wait to get back to him. His affection abounds all the more toward you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. He walked in with a painful letter from Paul, didn't know how they were going to take it. And Paul was so on edge, he thought that they might kill him. Titus ended up, disappeared for a while, and Paul thought that they killed him. That, oh my goodness, they they took this really bad. And and yet they responded with uh, fear and trembling and humility and repentance and they responded as marvelously. And so Paul uh, Titus now has an experience with them that he looks back on with, with great affection in, uh, in those things. All right. Philippians 1.8, Philippians 2.1, we've already seen. Colossians 3.12. We haven't been to Colossians yet today. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of splanknon. A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. By the way, both terms are used there. Um, the splanknon is used there. The oiktirmas is used there. And um, both in verse 12 <coughs> combined together as this heart of compassion along with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So put it on. Three uses in Philemon. Were we just in Philemon? We were. Verse 7, verse 12, verse 20. Say, well, that's an emotional book. A tiny little book, one chapter, 25 verses, and three uses of uh, Splanknon. All in one book. Verse 7, Paul says, I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the heart's that is the splanknon, the emotional hearts, not the cardia. It's not that Philemon had a great ministry towards their cardia, but he had a great ministry towards their splanknon. I've had to have, come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Verse 12, I've sent him back to you in person that is sending my very splanknon. Sending my very, not cardia, he doesn't call Onesimus his Cardia, he says, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, sending you my guts, sending you my intestines, sending you my bowels, my uh, 
I know, the, the, the analogy is just lost on us today. It's like reading Song of Solomon and all of the romantic language there, erotic language there that we don't find erotic at all in, uh, in the, because we're just separated by culture. All right. Um, and then verse 20. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my splanchnon in Christ. <coughs> and then finally, 1 John three, seventeen. All right. Thank you, Lord. First <clears throat> John three seventeen. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his splanchnon, closes his emotional heart. And if you want to, just, I mean, I don't mind heart, but the problem is when we think heart, we think cardia, right? So let's, uh, if we, let's keep some consistency here. And if it's not a cardia heart, then just make, mark yourself a little note there and uh, you know, call it the splanchnon heart so that you know it's not the cardia Sees his brother in need and closes his splank not against him. How does the agape of God abide in him? All right. Out of time. There's also Roman and the Termos vocabulary of Romans 12, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Philippians 2, 1, Colossians 3, 12. We've seen two of those already. And uh, Hebrews 10, 28. We'll come back Wednesday, Lord willing, and uh, rapture pending and, uh, and wrap that up. So all of these things are there. All of these things happen. God provides these. God provides encouragement. He provides consolation. He, he provides fellowship. He provides even the emotional, the, uh, the, the, uh, these last two, affection and compassion. He provides them, and He provides them through our brothers and our sisters in the local assembly. We don't have to go looking for them elsewhere. God's given them to us right here. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for sustaining my, my voice. We continue to call upon your faithfulness, Father. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.